Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back in the day, the team asked them if, you know, coaches or senior players asked them to get into the contest and sledge the other teams, he'd do it. Like, there was, you know, he's, he's always put himself second in those situations. He doesn't have to do it. He doesn't have to go out and do it. But he wants to do it because he wants to help the team, and that's how he felt like he had to help the team. And you've seen a very different David Warner since he's come back after... 2019 he's been great he's been you know he scored runs he's done it he's done it his own way he's played the game in a really good way he's enjoyed it you can tell he's smiling a lot on the field he's doing his he's doing it David Warner's way which has been really good to see in the last half of his career well that was Usman Khawaja talking about his great mate David Warner and some interesting comments there about David Warner sort of being wound up by the coaching staff to get in people's faces I'm Menes. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. It's our wrap from day two at the SCG. And we're also going to touch on some other cricket news because there's a lot of talking points at the moment. And to do that, I'm joined by freelance cricket writer Jono Baruch. Jono, interesting comments from Kawaja about David Warner. I think sometimes it's lost on the general public that when Darren Lehman took over as coach for the Australian side, he did try and reinstill this kind of mongrel in the Australian team to get in opposition faces. And, and Warner was the face of that, and it certainly backfired. Firstly, thanks for having me back, Menes. Um, yeah, it, very interesting from... Was he? Um, it's kind of been the whole week's kind of been about celebrating Warner, and he's still this real divisive character within Australian cricket, and will be from has been pretty much throughout it, his whole career, and will be as he continues his post-Australian career and then career in the combox, which is bound to have. The interesting part out of that uh, from me was just hearing how much he was told to do it, but also. It also painted another picture of just how much of, yeah, we see Warner, or the general public sort of sees David Warner as this guy who's the raging bull, he beats to his own drum, but as Usman detailed, he's willing to do whatever it takes for the team. And if that means he comes out and he beats the aggressor with the bat, the aggressor on the field, the aggressor on the chirp, um, you know, the one getting inside other people's faces, he'll do it. And again, it just shows to me and shows to, I think, everyone just really what Australian cricket's going to miss when he hangs it up and we'll get on to recapping the day's play and talking about his innings and you know how there may not be another one left of him in the real Australian in the Australian test team or long form cricket but 
it's just another one of those elements that Australia has had for these years with David Warner. And it's one of those elements that are going to have to fall on someone else. Mm. 100%. So, yeah, interesting stuff from Kawaja. And I agree. And, yeah, certainly some misplaced uh, direction probably in hindsight from the mm. coaching staff, you know, around that 2013 period when Lehman took over up until Sandpapergate. But you're right, Jono. We're going to talk about David Warner a bit later, but let's jump into the day's play. I was going to say day's action, Jono, but there wasn't much of it. It was a very sedate day at the SCG. Australia started the day none for six, and they progressed to two for 116 of 47 overs. And in today's play, they scored 110 of 46 overs, losing two wickets. Very slow run rate, very slow scoring, mm. you know, certainly anti-Bazball. And you know me, John, I'm a cricket tragic, but I found it pretty tough. I thought Australia were a little too sedate. It was very slow. They got to 70 by lunch and they were at 116 when they, were pulled, or they got pulled up for the day's play. Um, very, as, as you said, very slow, no real batting with purpose. It was, it was one of those days where you're kind of sitting back and you're just going like, well, someone just do something. Like, there was a point when I went out to go sit with, um, we had it, went to go sit with some family in the Barongul stand and we're just sitting there and they're batting after lunch. Manus and um, Usman Khawaja are just batting after lunch. Well, well, like, let, me someone just, do something. let me just jump in with the ball's face. Usman Khawaja, 47 off 143 balls. Labashain, 23 not out of 66 yeah. balls. Both those strike rates in the 30. Even David Warner, he was dismissed for 34 of 68. Strike rate of 50 which yeah. is low for him. You know, that's pretty slow yeah. going. It's, it's interesting. So Usman said in that same press conference, he was asked about the pitch and it was just like, he said it's a true SCG wickets, but starting to take a bit of turn, starting to play a few tricks. So it was tough going out there and Pakistanis, like they didn't bowl amazingly, but they bowled enough to sort of, you know, there was enough happening off the surface for them to get some assistance. So it was hard really for them to get away and they were defending quite a lot, you know, putting the putting the bad ball away. Um, we'll talk soon about the ball that ended up getting David Warner out, which was an absolute rip, ripper that um, surprised him. But aside from that, it was fairly placid. You know, Australia, you thought, well, that we knew they had to bat well. We knew, they, we, knew, we knew they had to bat well, particularly if they only really plan on batting once, batting big in this game and trying to end it. Yeah, they need to get a big lead. They need to get a big lead, particularly on this pitch but there just wasn't that real conviction to try and take the attack to them and drive the game you know we saw yesterday when Pakistan were batting yeah they were losing wiggers but there was the intent from Shan, from Rizwan from Jamal when he got through that top period and then he started to free his arms there was the, that intent to keep the scoreboard ticking on yes this is the way that has been so successful for Australia particularly throughout 2023 but Maybe maybe it needed just a little bit of a rethink a bit to, more try, intent, to try and get, a, mm. you, oh, that's the perfect word, to try get that little bit more intent in their game to try and continue driving the game forward because we're going to come out tomorrow. There's a little bit of rain forecast in the morning, but we should get the rest of the day's play in. And Australia, they're probably going to have to up their scoring rate to be like four four and a half runs and over for them to really be driving the game by the end of day three because at the moment if you just forecast forecast along with it they're two four hundred and sixteen now smith's just starting his innings labashane's going slowly but has got himself to a start 
they might only just be a parody by the end of the day. Yeah, you're right, 100%. So, so with some of the details, David Warner, well, David Warner, before he got to double figures, so you might remember on day one, a ball just went over the stumps, like, but with an inch. And then today he had some more luck. Uh, the debutante, Ayub, dropped a, a sitter at first slip. And there were no sitters in the slips, but this one was a sitter, an edge. He hadn't got to double figures yet, just bobbled in and out and uh, Warner had a reprieve. And that was great because it enabled Kawaja and Warner to get to 70 without loss before Warner was out. He got an excellent ball, as you mentioned, from Aga Salman um, that just uh, was caught in the second slip where, you know, sort of ball bounced and then turned and um, really squared Warner up. So um, terrific delivery to get him out for 34. I don't think it'll be his final test innings uh, unless the rain comes in for a few days. I think we'll see him again out there. Been nice for Kawaja and Warren, who've been so successful since they got together, averaging in, in the mid-high fo- 40s as an opening partnership, to get to 50 again. And that brought Labashane to the crease. And then um, after lunch, uh, Kawaja was out down the leg side for 47 off 143, caught by Rizwan off Jamal, where he, he just gloved one, just a slight mm-hmm. feather. Good catch by Rizwan. And that had Australia two for 108. And then eight runs later, uh, the rain came. So Steve Smith is six not out. Labashane, 23 not out. I have to say Smith looked good out there. I know it's a very short sample, but these slower pitches do favour his game because, you know, he moves across his stumps, waits for the ball, and he's beaten a few, been beaten a few times on the inside of the bat recently. But I think on this slow pitch where he's got a bit more time that it could be very difficult for the bowlers from Pakistan to get him out. Jamal with, and Salman were the wicket takers. But Australia trailed Pakistan by 197 runs on the day's play after a, a very shortened uh, afternoon. They, they went off for 14 and never came back out. It's been raining all afternoon. The bad light's been uh, around. And usual, you know, I'm just going to vent a little bit, a bit of Mad Men. You know, I hate all these stupid theories about oh what should we do when it gets dark oh we need a different baller why aren't they playing blah 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 have these people not watched cricket before i know it's frustrating but that's cricket Jono. it rains it gets bad light you can't play in that weather it's not football i mean if you want to play football you can play in any weather i mean if if these people don't like sport being cancelled go and watch a footy game yeah like i I agree with that. Like, I don't agree with the whole changing of the ball. My, my only thing is that as the umpires, and I understand the umpires, are, are, first and foremost, they have to make sure that it's safe for everyone. Usman said in the presser that it was dark a couple of hours before he, he was getting out. But as, as the standing umpires, it's your job to try and make sure the game can continue in as safe a way as possible. Now, they would have the umpires would have had the conversation with um, Shah Massoud to say, like, we continue playing, but you have to bowl your spinners from both ends. Shah didn't want to do that. That's but it why, was dark. That's why they got... Exactly. It I wouldn't was, want to face someone bowling 140 days. It was dark, and by then Pakistan had gone to the short ball, short ball theory. It's what got Khwaja out. They'd set a few men back, and, you know... Yeah, they Jam- bowled the bounce at Jam- Smith Jam- first Jam- ball. Jamal was coming in bowling at his, at his tail up after just taking a wicket. So it was dark. It's interesting in the bad light situation though. So as as the umpire, the umpires are in control. So they can call for the light light meter, they get the light meter, they take the reading. That's the reading for the entire test match. From there, the umpires have control as to whether or not you're gonna take them off. And if you decide to take them off, that's when they lose control. From there, you're beholden to the elements. Mm, so if exactly. it starts raining, 
you have to wait until the rain completely stopped and then you look at the lights and say, oh, is it a bit lighter? Can we get back on? So it's one of those things where well, you test, we'll get on to talking about the state of test cricket in a moment. It's one of those things that we're still looking for the perfect solution. But again, you know, a red ball is a red ball. You can't go from a red ball to a pink ball in the middle of the game because and then that back just, to a red ball and then the back next to day. a red ball the next it's day ridiculous. because that just changes the Absolutely complexion of the game way too much as yeah. Kwaja said. Also, they react so, also the crowd gets happy also the TV viewers don't miss out. I get it. But cricket's a unique game played outside in variable conditions. You know, if if, if they can build indoor stadiums across Australia where that aren't weather affected, I'm all for it. Alright, so that is the state of play from the SCG. Australia a long way behind, so training by 197 runs. Day three's play will start at 10 a.m. So if you're thinking of coming down to the SCG for Jane McGrath Day, don't forget your pink shirt. Don't forget play starts at 10 a.m. All right, now I want to talk about a bit uh, general cricket news. Um, as you know, pretty dull day today, and haven't recorded a weekly cricket unfiltered this year yet. So John, it's a first show of the year, a proper show of the year. And leading into this test match, David Warner did a very interesting press conference because it's his last test. And he actually doesn't speak to the media a lot. He, you know, it's very he's very controlled in his media appearances. So, you know, we had him for 25 minutes in the press room. And I've cut together some highlights um, of that. So have a listen to this. And then Jono and I are going to talk about some of the issues to come out of it. Well, from a team's perspective, I think Winning, winning the Ashes is is massive, but I think I remember back to um, Africa, Ryan Ryan Harris taking that wicket in the last couple of overs. I think that one just stands out for me. That was really tough series, um, really hard fought series, and that there to me was probably one of the hardest games I've I've been a part of. And um, you know, the memory of just Ryan Harris one knee as well um, was really significant. Um, and that's probably one that yeah really stands out for me. Oh man, you're throwing some hard ones. Um, but I think 100 in the session here is probably you know one for me where you don't go out there as an opening batter trying to trying to achieve to, uh, to get the team off to a start like that. But to go out there and score 100 in a session is 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 massive. And then clearly the 300 in Adelaide was probably my most patient innings. Um, it was a challenge mentally um, to get back up again the next day to, to come out and, and, and play. Um, I've never really experienced that before and that, that many hours at the crease. Oh, look, I think without doubt, Dale Stain. I think Dale, I'll go back to the whacker um, when me and Sean Marsh had to go out for a, an ugly little thing. I think, I think it was about 45 minutes and Sean Marsh come down to me and he just said, look, you guys, I can't pull in, so I don't know how we're going to go about facing him and you know, he put me on my backside and I think that's when he broke I think he broke his shoulder as well um, I think that game um, he's just a fierce competitor swung the ball back into left handers which is similar to like Mitchell Stark swinging the ball back into a right hander at pace it's very difficult to face at times and he was always a fiery customer never gave you a smile never gave you an inch or a sniff on the, on the field so yeah he's definitely definitely one I definitely am keen to pursue playing Big Bash next year. There's obviously going to be conversations behind the scenes to, to allow me to do that. Obviously join the Fox commentary team next year during the um, test series against India, which I'm looking forward to. There's a BBL window that we're able to play. And then there quite clearly has been a lot of talk about the ILT20, which will be starting 
um, I'm pretty sure after the BBL. So I would like to play that in and around um, the commentary stuff. I've just got to make sure that I'm one, playing to the best of my ability and two, I'm not hindering the team's performances or um, upsetting the, the balance of the team. Now, look, I said quite clearly in England before the World Test Championship that there was a lot of talk about me and my, my form. And I wanted to nip it in the bud early and I said my ideal prep- preparation um, to finish would be Sydney. That's ideal. That's, that's fantastic. But for me, I actually had Lords penciled in as my last test, especially if I didn't go as, as well as I did as a partnership with Uzi at the top of the order. Um, and then from there, it just followed on that we played some, some good innings together. I didn't have that 100 that I wanted that it's always eluded me to, to, to achieving, but as a team and as a whole, we did our bit. So to get, a, you know, to get this ending is, is awesome, but it's not, it's not about me, it's about us. We've won the series, but to win 3-0 and have a whitewash series here at the SCG would be a, would be a great thing for the team. And we can't you know, take away the fact that how well this team's been in the last 18 months. Yeah, um, I was saying it was here this morning when we were out in the middle with his debut test. I was actually sitting up in the in one of the boxes up there, um, and it was awesome to see. And uh, yeah, it's a it is a fairy tale ending. I think I don't know too many cricketers who have gone through junior cricket um, with each other um, and 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 played the highest level for a, for a long period of time. But just to see him come back the way he has the last two years has been absolutely amazing. Uh, I know. Um, his family are really, really proud of him. I'm really, really proud of him as a mate. Um, and it brought a tear to my eye when he scored that 100 when he first came back. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're childhood friends and you get to go out here at the SCG as kids, as, you know, dreaming big, it's a great fitting. Um, you know, I love that. When I, when I left Africa, the first five or six people that came up to me um, were priest and gave me a card. And then we went on a holiday to Singapore after that and there was a big church convention. And I then sat back and spoke to Candace and said, someone's clearly watching down um, upon us. And it just, it just grew strength from there to, you know, go back, play, I had to play grade cricket, go and get a sense of that cricket community belief back. Um, the canteen ladies, the people who run the drinks out to you, taking on and off the covers. It was a, a sense of something that I sort of got disconnected with and I think a lot of us do because we're in this bubble. Um, but when you go back and you see the real people who are real, really, really working hard, which we did as young kids, that's what I reflect most upon. And if I can keep continuing to making sure that people understand where you where you come from and and how you got to where you are i think that's going to be very very important i think that's a lesson that i that i learned uh and then spending time at home with the kids oh, that was unbelievable i actually really really enjoyed that i got to spend a lot of time with my wife we we you know we are sort of disconnected in a way when we get we have to travel um a lot um so you know reflecting back on that um, that whole that whole period, my whole career, I've, I've got no regrets because you, you're going to have a lot of hurdles that you have to jump. There's going to be obstacles in the way, but you have to move forward. And I've done that with dignity. I've I've come back and I've got a lot of passion for the game. And it was important for, from my perspective to make sure that I'm giving back, making sure that I've not just gained the respect back, but making sure that you know I'm putting you know Australian cricket first and. 
I want every young kid that wants to play cricket to dream to play for Australia. And that was what was really, really important for me when I came back. Um, <laughs> I knew a question like this was going to come up. Um, look, I think, I think when I look back at that, you know, it can, it can be handled different. But I think, you know, to be fair, I think Nick did his ultimate best um, to put that forward to, to the board. And the decision was made and I was, I'm happy with that. I've... I've moved forward from that. I got opportunities to, to lead in the IPL, to lead in the ILT20. Uh, yeah, look, I think I've enjoyed my leadership roles. Um, but for me, in recent years, I've learned that leadership, wearing captain's or vice-captain's sort of um, badge, it, you know, it's, it's about being true to yourself, I think, as well. Um, you know, setting an example both on and off the field. So for me, I'm a, I think I'm a leader in this team no matter what. You don't need that C or VC next to your name and... I know myself with my energy at times can be annoying and a pest, but I know that inside that change room gets everyone up and about. Yeah, look, there's, there's, two, there's two types of likes and dislikes, right? There's ones that hide behind the keyboards and there's ones that are in real life. If they're happy to sit down with you and have a beer and get to know you, you know, they're the real people that actually support you. Um, you know, I've had a few of them where I've, I've called people out and had a beer with people and they've change their opinion totally and that goes back a few like probably five six years ago um but what you see is what you get um i'm very honest i'm open um i'm always happy to have a beer with anyone that has a disagreement um you know in 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 the public if you don't like what you see on tv reach out i'll have a beer with you um you know and that's open to anyone (laughs) well that was david warner before the sydney test match where should we start? A lot to talk about. Um, I guess... There's a bit in there. There's a bit in there. I mean, he talked a little bit about his leadership ban and his uh, ban from Sandpaper Gate, and he talked about sort of getting back to grassroots cricket and getting out of the bubble, the cricket bubble. And I think that was seen as something that had affected the whole team. And, you know, Langer was brought back in to try and ground them again. But I found those comments quite interesting and quite insightful from Warner. In what way? So in the way that that was the only level of cricket that he was allowed to play during that year or the fact that he was kind of made by Cricket Australia to be like, you need to go and see how the everyman plays, but because that was his upbringing. Yeah, but I thought it was interesting the way he said that it made him appreciate sort of right. why you play cricket again. And he sort of yeah. said he would got a bit detached from that, you know, with all the money mm. and fame, kind of forgotten about that yeah, love. I think, I think also when you go through an experience like what Warner and those two other gentlemen had, was when it got to a point where they, they what, what they'd done had become bigger than just a cricketing incident. It mm, became yeah. like... Prime Ministers were involved. You know, Prime Ministers, you know, Prime Ministers calling in. It was an international incident of the highest um, proportion. So for him to come back and say that he needed that experience of getting, finding his grounding and footing in grey cricket again, it's, it can be, it's one of those things that can you know, rekindle the love for the game. And I've got no doubt that he would have spent some time in during that year. Yeah, he was playing in a few um, Bangladesh Premier League and playing in Canada, basically whichever league that would take him during that year. Was Ooh, trying I remember, to, yeah. Trying to, plan, trying to play some cricket. But, and so for him to have that home at um, Randy Petersham, to be able to go back and play cricket for them, to throw their arms around one of their own. Mm-hmm. And that's the best thing about, you know, local cricket. You know, I we've both been a part of local cricket clubs growing up there. The community club around it can really rekindle 
one's love for the game and everyone talks about giving back well he got a chance to give back to his club career in the middle of his um international career at the top level he took a hiatus for a year yeah but and it probably extended his career i mean you look at him now he's 37 years giving away international cricket but he's the fittest he's ever been he's still got you'd say at least i don't know at least five six years as a gun for hire on the t20 circuit yeah gail played into his early 40s for yeah, sure yeah and well and you, well the, the comparing the fitness of chris gale and david <laughs> warner is chalk and cheese um i don't think warner has a nightclub in his house but i just want to jump in there uh, warner said as well in that when he was talking about Warner Sam, doesn't have a nightclub but he's got a super yacht yeah there we go <laughs> um he, he talked about sort of finding he didn't talk about finding god but he talked about running into priests and running into you know god conventions and look I don't want to be cynical, but I am going to be. You know, I've heard James Erskine, Warner's manager, talk. There are elements to Warner's press offerings that are quite contrived. And I think, for me, that sounds like one of them because who's going to knock someone who says they've found God? Who's going to uh, criticise someone when they say something like that? Well, I am because I just smell a bit of BS there. Um, other stuff. Well, another one was, um, well, he um he announced his 50 over retirement retirement in inverted commas so he's retiring from the 50 over game but he prefaced it by saying when the champions trophy comes around in 2015 2025 yes sorry 2015 that's all good (laughs) 2025 david warner did win a tournament he did win a world cup i've got that here um in 2025 he he would be available if needed if they wanted him um and and listeners will remember ben stokes did something very similar retired from 50 over cricket to lighten his workload but then as soon as the recent world cup came around he he made himself available so look that's no surprise to me pat cummins also said that it's probably time to turn the page on the 50 over side and start to build up to the next world cup so it was very quick to knock that on the head pat yeah yeah but he also did say to be sort of our break glass option and i i think that's a good option because it's not a bad no and it allows um it allows the 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 players that are in the team to um you know brought into the team to really make make a good fist of opening the batting and warner's proven himself so you know after that fantastic world cup from warner it's a great way to go out winning in india couple of other things well speaking of highlights he talked about some of the highlights of his career and he talked about the test series win in south africa in 2014 yes i don't know if you remember that one Jono, but i remember staying up very late for that final test match i think the series was one all going to the last match and i think so and, and ryan harris right at like you know just on one leg on one leg with just you know fading light with them only an over or two to go in the play got a couple of wickets to knock over south africa and and win a test series in south africa and uh, warner said that was one of his sweetest moments and look i just think warner's had he a very double, he made twin tons that game didn't he i'm not sure i know he had a good series then but he may well maybe that was was that the test before i'm not no, sure so the first game so Sean Marsh made a ton on the first game. Yep. Steve Smith made one, and I, I must have been because he made twin tons at Cape Town, and it was also the game that I, Michael Clark made his yeah. brilliant 165 after he got absolutely bashed by Mono Morpel in the short ball. Um, so I think it's that game too. Yeah, interesting though that that was his highlight because you know Warner's had a very fractious relationship with the South African team, the South African public. So no no wonder that's probably his most treasured highlight. He said his favourite innings was his hundred in the session at the SCG. 
And you also mentioned that was against Pakistan 2017-18. And you also mentioned his triple century against Pakistan. Well, he's done well against Pakistan, as we know. And he said the best bowler he's ever faced is Dale Steyn. No surprises there. No surprise. Um, he, what else did he say? He also said he will play in the Big Bash next summer around his cricket commentary for Fox Cricket, so that's great news for Thunder fans. He also said he would have a beer with anyone. So if you're out there and you want to get to know David Warner, I don't know how you'd contact him, but he said, you know, if he, he basically was talking about how people have this impression of him, but mm. he's different in person. Yeah. And I actually don't know Warner very well at all like a lot of some of the other cricketers I've spent time with interviewed seen around the shield and stuff I don't know Warner that well but I wouldn't mind having a beer with him oh it'd be a, I mean, it'd be, it'd be a great afternoon yeah it'd be a great afternoon I think I think it's also something that Usman was trying to say just to sort of bring it back to the start of this podcast is just say like you know not many people know the real David Warner that he was often a not contrived but he had to he he was being the person and that an antagonist in yeah. inverted commas because that was the role that he needed to be for the team to have success you look at the track record of what the australian cricket team has done over the course of warner's career then you say it worked you know that teams had success warner's played his role to absolute perfection one of the best three format openers australia's ever had as music is being played <laughs> in the background here so um adds to the atmosphere adds, of the to the, adds to the atmosphere so i think i think what usman was trying to say is that there's an element of david warner that we don't see really? and we haven't seen and hopefully now in this next chapter of his cricketing life we will start to get to see that and look i've got no doubt you touched on his manager james erskine before there's a book coming. I've got some, which is going to be very, that. which scoops is going to be very, you know, it's going to be interesting. However, it comes out, and the 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 threads here, Menas, are like, you know, it's interesting. How does Cricket Australia play the relationship with David Warner to sort of prevent him from blowing up City Hall? I guess it's not just Cricket Australia though; it's his former teammates. That we'll get into that. I, yeah. I want to play, but just a couple more things before I play Erskine's audio. Um, Warner got very emotional talking about it with Kawaja. He actually almost started to choke up a bit. And I thought that was quite a touching moment to, to sort of see how close Kawaja and Warner are. And Kawaja just spoke about how he really got closer to Warner when he was banned for a year. So, yeah, you probably heard that. You, probably, you could just hear him start to choke up. And last bit of news from that was Warner said he would have retired after the second Ashes test at Lords had he not performed with the bat. Um, but then he made some runs in that game. It was in McCollage and he put on a good partnership and he, he batted through the rest of the summer. Yep. But yeah, that, that was something that was kept pretty quiet. I don't think anyone had that story, but he was prepared to pull the plug on his career at Lords. I mean, let me jump out of you before we get onto the Erskine audio that I want to play. Not, not really. I think, I think the one thing that you sort of took from that and listening back to the press conference is that he he seems really content with his life. He knows he could have been done halfway through the year. He knows he could have been done halfway through twenty nineteen. Yeah, and he's also talking about the leadership yeah. band where he was like, "Well, you know, I feel like yeah. Nick Hockley tried his best and it didn't get through." I think, yeah. I, I think I think you're right. I think he's sort of come to a good place where he's quite content with his the way he's going out. And Cricket Australia have certainly um, 
I, I think paid him a, a lot of respect in this farewell series, a lot of attention, and yeah. um, I think he'll end on good terms. I just want to jut throw in here. So, uh, David Warner's manager, James Erskine, was interviewed on Channel 9's Wild World of Sports radio show. And here he is talking about when he took over as Warner's manager, he asked him about Sandpaper Gate. We didn't really talk a lot about the past, to be honest, apart from me asking exactly, you know, because I didn't believe for one moment it was three people. Uh, and of course, I'm right. So you see that James Erskine seems to imply that the whole team knew what was going on with the sandpaper. But I, I don't know if Erskine actually knows what he's talking about because my theory, my very good understanding from multiple sources is that there was an arms race going on between Australia and South Africa to see who could get the ball to reverse the earliest. Both teams were trying anything they could to do it. AB de Villiers had rough patches on in his gloves. It was an arms race and Australia knew they were in it. The Australian team knew they had to rough the ball up, they had to get a reverse swing. To me, I think that's the extent of what the Australian team knew. And in my opinion, they didn't actually know the details of what transpired. Well, this isn't the first time James Erskine's made these types of noises saying that oh, there are other people involved, surely, mm. surely not. I said it before, there's, there's a lot gonna come out and eventually one day the full story will be told. It might never be told, but we think it's all going to come out in Warner's book when it comes out. But comments like that will make people nervous. I mean, him going on the radio saying that, especially before his last test, I don't know how sensible that is. Um, Pete Lawler, a good friend of the podcast, he's actually writing Warner's book. So stay tuned for that. But yeah, I, I think Erskine maybe is a little bit off there. I, I don't think actually the bowlers knew that Bancroft was going to take sandpaper back, sandpaper out there. All right. Well, that was David Warner Watch. We've got a few more topics to talk about. We'll take a, a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about the future of Test Cricket. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. It's our weekly show and our wrap of day two from a bit of a dreary SCG. No comments from any other people around Australia about Sydney's uh, record with the weather. Don't want to hear them. Joined by John O'Brook and... Look, a lot of talk in the last week about the future of Test Cricket. Now, listeners to this show, if you heard my interview with Neil Manthorpe, this will not be a surprise to you. He foreshadowed this a few months ago when I interviewed him that South Africa will be sending a subpar test team to New Zealand for a two-test match series. They've named seven debutantes and a new skipper, South Africa, for this tour. And people are saying this is the death of test cricket. You've got a country prioritising their local T20 competition over an overseas test series. But I think that's a kind of simplistic view of it. The facts are South African cricket has no money and the IPL clubs have invested a lot of money into their domestic competition. South African cricket gets a lot of a lucrative return from that. But the deal is South Africa have agreed that their best players have to be available. So South Africa asked New Zealand, can we play the test series later after our T20 competition? New Zealand said, no, we've got Australia coming and then our players are going off to the IPL. So no, we're, we're playing it then. So South Africa have had to send this a subpar team out there. The players themselves haven't elected to play in this SAT20. It's a contractual obligation. So, look, there are certain challenges to the future of Test cricket, but, but John, I think this particular situation is unique to the South African cricket board's financial dire. It's, 
unique to right. it's it's unique to South Africa, but it's also not unique. Like you look at the squad that the West Indies are sending over; they've also got seven Test debutants, and that's for whatever reasons. You know, senior players opting not to take a national contract and choosing to go on the T Twenty circuit. Like, look, you interviewed Neil Manthorpe. Everyone around cricket sort of anticipated that. This is going to happen, but when it happened, it sort of landed like a bomb. Bomb, as he said, you know, seven debutants, a, new, a captain who hasn't, a new captain who hasn't debuted yet. Um, two players currently from the ongoing Indian series have been retained because they don't have SA twenty deals. And aside from that, there's only about half a dozen other players in the squad with previous Test experience. So it's going to be fresh and. It was a side note, if I'm New Zealand, I'm going, let's absolutely try roll them in three days both times to show them for disrespect. But uh, as much as this falls on, you know, Cricket South Africa, and they've sort of put out a statement trying to explain their position. But as, as you said, men, as their hands are tied, they need the cash. They've got this um, injection of cash through the IPL money and the franchises there who are saying, you know, the catch-22 is we want... We want this league to work and for it to work, for you to get your money, you need your best players in it. I think what's this done, what this has done is it's really shone a light on the need for the ICC to... Have international windows like football. So I, I put out a tweet about this and it was great to hear Nick Ockley explain a little bit about it. It was just like, if we're going to have, you know, it's great that we have and the ICC put out the Future Tours program, which sort of gives us a guide as to who's playing where, who needs to play where, in which cycle. There's two World Test Championships cycles in this um, current Future Tours program that runs up until 2027. Not necessarily in that, but if we're going to have T20 cricket sort of be the gateway to bringing people into this into this beautiful game of cricket, I can see a situation where, okay, the next... T20 World Cup later this year um, is, what, is what, 20 teams? I can see a situation mm. where the T20 World Cup after that has about 30 teams in it. And but, Test cricket has three nations But unfortunately, playing. I can also see the same situation where there's about three or four nations being test playing nations and that's not good for the game. I, it was great and I'm buoyed to hear Nick Hockley say today that they're trying to work with schedulers and they're trying to work with really trying to make sure that strong test playing nations and historic test playing he nations... He called it sub-optimal scheduling. That was which, is, which it is. It, it it is. But, but, but I think this is just a, a bit of a squeeze because of... Like, I don't think there's many other countries around the world, test playing nations, that would would be in this situation where they're sending a week aside well, to stay it, at home. It just sort of brings the need... Uh, for windows. For, for windows and international windows. Now, we're not at that situation yet where we have players that are signed to franchises, but I, I think it's not that far away. And you, you go back a week ago, Todd Greenberg was speaking about a conversation that he was having over in the UK that has... They were almost alarmed that the, the players were essentially contracted to Cricket Australia. So how much longer that has, how much of a longer lifespan that has sort of remains to be seen. But I think we, we want to sanctify international cricket. We want to sanctify test cricket. And we finally have something in test cricket that means a lot. You know, we, test we, championship we've, heard, everything has we've heard everything say, like, you know, Nathan Lyons, like, the World Test Championship is my is my World Cup. Mm, said it on this podcast. Yeah, it's, 
it's important now that the ICC take charge to say like, okay, we understand where the money is going to be in this game. And the great thing about cricket is that there's now almost a version for everyone. Mm. So if the ICC are fair income about it, which sometimes you think they are, sometimes you think they aren't, maybe it is time for international windows and you sort of block out four or five periods a year. Where I think we're moving that way. I, we're uh, definitely and moving. Nick Hockley did say that. The other thing Nick Hockley said that was interesting was that he thinks it will, he's pushing for three test series as a minimum in this future tour program. I don't think there's any room for that in the two cycles you've talked about, mm. but it's interesting that he thinks every series should be a minimum of three test matches. But you know, that would mean the West Indies, who are coming out later this month, would have to play them in three matches, which I don't know if that's, Australia would want to do that. Well, so. that's the added thing about you know these bigger countries supporting these other test playing na- test playing nations, and part of the reasoning behind them putting on like and playing in two test series, like you know South Africa versus India at the moment, that ongoing series, you know you'd kill for a third test to decide mm. that series. But the reality is South Africa can't afford to put on a third test and neither can other countries necessarily are hosting these two match series. They can't necessarily afford to play a third test. You're right. So that, it's one of those big issues and I, the ICC need to come to the party. I know they've got a um, skewed rev share model at the moment where the two biggest countries are getting the biggest slabs of the pie. but. Nick Hockley said it as well today, you know, Australia, India, England, all these bigger countries, they're lucky that fans come through the door to watch their teams play cricket. They get propped up, they don't, I'm careful here, they might not necessarily need the big handout from the ICC, they'll take it, but there's another way that that money can be shared around it, particularly if we want to I keep... I think the BCCI gets 38% of all revenue now. Which is ridiculous, but that's a talking point for another day. But if we want to make sure that we're keeping the sanctity of test cricket and international cricket alive, then it's on the ICC to actually work with its boards and its members to ensure that we have more than enough thriving member nations to keep moving on. I totally agree. Right, staying in South Africa, but this time I want to talk about some cricket because there was the most extraordinary days test cricket overnight. The first day's play of the second test, South Africa versus India. South Africa were bowled out for 55 in the first session. And you're thinking, oh, that's pretty extraordinary. India, in reply, are four for 153. 98 runs ahead, looking like building a big lead. South Africa, uh, India then lost six for none in two overs to be bowled out for 153. So uh, I think Nagidi took three wickets, then Rabada took three wickets. And Rick Finlay tweeted out, India have set the ultimate record for a collapse from four wickets down to the end of the innings, scoring zero runs in that time. The previous was New Zealand's four for 127 to 131 all out versus Pakistan in 2001. In in fact, this is the most spectacular six wicket collapse from any point of a test innings. Unbelievable, wasn't it? Yeah, so. and then and then South Africa with three for 62 at stumps, still trailing. Did, did you think Dean Elgar was like, oh, I'll be batting twice and be dismissed twice on the my first last day, test. My final test? Yeah, so the 23 wickets in one day, <laughs> quite amazing. 
Um, just moving on to wrapping up a bit of cricket news. The Big Bash is motoring along. But Brisbane Heat are at the top of the table as we record this on the 4th of January. Perth Scorchers are in second. Sixers, They'll play in the final again. Who the Heat and the Scorchers, I that's your pick. Yeah. And then you've got the Sixers and the Stars in, in third and fourth spot, both in, in fourth place. And there's actually a four-point gap to the Hobart Hurricanes. So, you know, those play, there's a, sort of a, a top four that's moving away. Um, good to see the Melbourne Stars. They had a pretty shocking start to the comp, but then they've really turned things around and won a few games in a row and got themselves back into the competition, which I, I actually think is good for the big batch. You know, you want Maxwell's team oh, in the finals. Praising Melbourne. Gee whiz, are, are, are you sick? No, I've got a temperature. <laughs> uh, so that's the big bash. Um, big win overnight for the Scorchers. And finally, um, we'll, we'll stay in, we'll head to India for this one. So coming off the test defeat, the Australian women's team have bounced back to beat India at 3-0 in the 50-over series. They won the first game, sorry, they won the first game by six wickets. They won a thriller in the second game by just three runs. And then Australia won the third game by 190 runs, an absolute thumping. Litchfield had a fantastic series. She scored her second uh, one day international ton in the final match. She finished the series with 260 runs and an average of 86.66 with 102 50s. And it is the highest ever runs aggregate in a three match ODI series against India by any team. So fantastic stuff from Phoebe Litchfield. She's certainly a star in the making, friend of the show. So great to see her doing well. And uh, she's signed up a women's Premier League gigs, so they'd have been very happy to see a scoring runs over in those conditions. But, you know, Australian women's team, you know, thumping in the test match, but good bounce-back performance. Back to their preferred format. You know, Big Bill an absolute star. Um, and it, it fills them with confidence. You know, first series, not the first series under Elias captaincy, but her first, full, her first series with the job full-time. So it will only grow from there. They, and they got the T20s to finish off. Absolutely. So that's it for all the news. We're going to wrap things up here from the SCG, but you know, set up nicely for this test match. Just last thing on this test match, John, I actually think Pakistan have a sneaky chance here. If they can start well on the third morning and get a couple of wickets and maybe get a lead of sort of 50 or 60 and then make Australia place 200, chase 200, this pitch was going up and down. It was starting to play a few tricks. We might see Pakistan's first test victory in Australia since the mid-90s at this ground. I was at that game. Yeah, it's interesting. It's sort of, it's well-placed. It, it all comes down to the first hour, half hour tomorrow. I guess, if, as you said, if they bowl well. But Australia will know they have to bat well and up the scoring rate. And Please, sort I was of, falling asleep at the back of the press box. Sort of see where we're placed tomorrow. But great to be with you again, Menace. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Jono, thanks for jumping on the podcast. Everybody, thanks for listening. We'll be back after day three. <laughs>